Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I am your host, Meredith Bell. And those of you that listen to me often know that I just love bringing to you people who are focused on their own development and also really are concentrating on helping develop the people around them. And my guest today does both of those in spades. So I know you're going to enjoy our time together. And this kind of development is also the focus of my company, Grow Strong Leaders, where we have created tools and books to help people really develop and fulfill their full potential. And I'd encourage you to check out our offerings at growstrongleaders.com. So today I am very excited to have as my guest, Teresa Roach. Teresa, welcome to my show. Meredith, thank you. I am so humbled and honored to be here and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Oh, so am I. And before we get started, I want to give a big shout out to our mutual friend and colleague, Mm. Sheree Aftahi, who introduced us. And I'm so grateful that she did. I have so enjoyed our conversations. And before we dive into the questions, I want to introduce you in a little bit more formal way to my listeners so they can appreciate who you are. Teresa is the leader of the human resources team for the city of Fort Collins in Colorado. And this is a position she thought about long before being asked to serve in this role. She has more than 30 years of experience working as an executive in various high-tech companies, helping them through the different stages of their organizational life cycles, from startups to acquisitions, mergers, and divestitures. Teresa has a deep passion for collaboration and learning because she's interested in how individuals and organizations develop the capability to interpret an evolving and complex environment in order to take effective action. And I love the guiding principles, the leadership principles that really direct Teresa's focus. And these are be present, stay conscious, act compassionately. And she summarizes her leadership DNA in these words, which I relate to so much, Teresa, love and integrity in action, taking care of the in-between to deliver results. So Teresa, let's, let's roll the time back a little bit and talk about how did you come to move into your current role as an HR executive? You know, Meredith, thank you for that question. And I get asked that a lot. Not as much as I used to when I moved from the private sector world to the public sector world. Because this August, I'll have been with the city for six years, which feels very long and yet very short. And certainly it's been shaped by being very present to the pandemic, the fires that we had in our county. So there's been a lot, the social unrest. So what I want to do when you say roll back, I'm going to roll back to a little story about my family that guided me on how I knew to seek out a life chapter as a public servant. 
So I'm the youngest of seven children, five older brothers, one older sister in the Northwest part of Indiana, very close to Chicago. And I was born in the generation of great um, movements, which in today's world sort of pale, but they were huge. Uh, women's rights, civil rights. And because I was the youngest, I was very shaped by how my family thought, what they were involved in. And I have often thought that there's three things that my family gave me, both genetically and through nurturing, curiosity, community, and contribution. Mm. So the curiosity, Meredith, shapes me to experiment and go into situations where I'm not certain. And I lean into that unknowingness because I believe somehow there will be ways to understand and people to help. So we're all born with curiosity and I've just chosen to keep mine very active. So that's, that's one. And my family, as I said, really instilled that. It's pretty amazing, but all seven children graduated from college and none of us had funding from our parents. So that's a pretty big testimony to just the spirit of keeping learning alive. The second that I mentioned was community. My family was very involved in the community, whether it was church, local government, schools, um, just movements that were happening. And so I grew up believing that we are connected. And I did the strength finders and found out that connectedness is actually my top strength. So I'm not kidding when I say it's genetic and nurturing, but I, I believe that we are always in an ecosystem, that we're in a community. And then because my father was a, a prisoner of war, World War II vet, he was in Stalag 17 for 13 months, just he and my mother saw that those of us that could with whatever we had need to contribute. And in our case, it was contribute to the betterment of those around us, of the planet. So those three C's really informed me. And I actually started thinking that I would become a public servant of some sort. And my education at the bachelor's and master's prepared me for that. And yet um, I had a wonderful manager in the second year of my master's program who said, I really think you should consider the private sector. And he said, there's only one company I think you should work for. And Meredith, talk about the unknown. I had no preparation, no understanding. So I turned my head and I wanted, went on a remarkable 30-year journey working for really magnificent companies, being with leaders that taught me and colleagues that gave me so much. When I took a break from Agilent Technologies, when it was splitting two publicly traded companies, very successful, I had told the two leaders in my life at that time, when that split happens, I'm going to take a pause and transition. And that's a whole other story we can talk about that I talked about. It was my liminal space. And I did things to scare myself by consulting with organizations that I had never met before, different sectors. But that hunger to go and serve a community more directly is why I turned my head back. Mm. And the city of Fort Collins had this opening. And what made me say Fort Collins specifically, I've lived here since 2001, HP had rehired me off campus, moved us here in Fort Collins, is I was in a program called Leadership Fort Collins. I was the oldest member in that class where when I lived in Palo Alto, I was the youngest member in that class. And I 
opened my eyes to the brilliance of what the city as a platform, as the enabler does to help the lives of everyday people and our businesses do well. So to directly contribute in this role is why I chose it. And as I said, people would say, how could you do that? And my answer is always, how could I not? So it's a yearning that I wanted to fulfill. I don't know if it's my last last life chapter because I feel like there's so much more in me but it's been uh, an honor and a privilege to serve in this capacity. I know that's a long story, um, but it's, it's one that's deep in my heart. Oh, yes, I love that you included all of those elements to it. And thinking about your current position, one of the things that I know you made the conscious decision to do was change your title. Mm. You didn't wanna be the chief human resource officer. Talk about which of those words just didn't sit well with you and why and what you decided Mm. to adopt instead. Yeah. Meredith, thank you for asking because I made that change without saying too much about it, except to my direct team at the city of Fort Collins. Um, Where it happened was the awakening that I had in one of those aha moments where something happens and you feel like you can never unthink it again. We hired a remarkable woman, Claudia Menendez, to be our, the position title was Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer. That's what the position title was. And there was lots of feedback about that. But in the, in the you know, sectors, that's how it was known. I had her come and talk to my team. And in that conversation, I went to a website that she was telling us about. And I saw that Claudia was referring to herself as the equity officer. And because I'm somebody that just is willing to have any conversation, I said, Claudia, knowing you, that was a conscious choice. Tell us more. And in that moment, when she talked about the word chief and how that has significance, particularly for indigenous people and the Native American tribes, I was like, oh, my God. These are these moments where I awaken to something that I had been so used to because I've been chief in other positions. And I thought in that moment how I've been cheering on when sports teams changed their name, like the Washington Redskins became the Washington Commodores, I think. And so I thought, wow, I need to reflect a deep belief I have and not... um, you know, co-opt or misappropriate a term that has deep significance for other people. So Meredith, I did research to see, hey, is anybody else thinking about this? I couldn't find any evidence, but there could still be some out there. I talked to my team and I said, I need to take this away from my title. And Meredith, I'm never my title. It's an identifier, but I am not my title. Mm -hmm. Um, And we made jokes about, I said, I really would like to be called the HR goddess, but that's not exactly going to go over. (laughs) And so um, I just came up with human resources executive. And the big thing for me, Meredith, is when I went to my LinkedIn and changed it. And again, I did this silently. And in the city, I am in the system as the chief human resources officer. But we have the concept of a working title. So I changed my working title and it now shows up on everything. And just yesterday, 
one of my brilliant people on the team, Karen Burke, sent out a policy update and it said, Chief Human Resources Officer in every instance, which is throughout this document, is now Human Resources Executive. And I thought, wow, I hope this becomes a conversation starter. So um, it's hard for Meredith when you think about, you said my leadership DNA, it's an integrity issue for me. Mm. I don't know how I can talk about um, inclusion and belonging and seeing people if I myself am not finding all the ways in which I signal that. Mm-hmm. So that's the story behind it. Yes. Well, you know, it just is such an important point, even though it, you know, we're talking about just a few words, but that is what makes the difference in our ability yes. to communicate and hear other people. There are trigger words that we aren't even aware of sometimes mm-hmm. that yeah. are offensive to or hurtful to others. And unless we take the time to slow down and really examine it as you did and think about what is the real meaning behind this and where may this create a problem for someone else? I just yeah. think that's such a wonderful theme to carry over into everything we're doing when we're talking about the whole diversity, equity, and inclusion mm-hmm. and belonging aspect. And there's another area that I know is just so part of your DNA. And that has to do with looking at the something you say about the greatest journey is the one within. So you've had to do some, you know, reflection there yourself. Talk about it in a more in a broad, more broad term. What do you mean by that, and why is that so important to you? Well, um, Meredith, I think it's hard not to see everywhere the words around change leader, change thyself. You know, research that shows that people that know themselves tend to develop and lead others differently. They're more receptive to feedback. It feels like everywhere I turn, there is people saying it begins with them. And I was blessed that, um, gosh, I'm going to get emotional here. My mom died during my master's program. And it was a pain that I had never experienced. And I was getting my master's in counseling. And so interesting that I was in in something that could help me process one of the greatest um, moments in my life of sorrow. And it was after uh, a couple months that I was hired by HP. I graduated and was hired by HP. And I had a yearning, a longing. And I happened to be at a um, building and I saw this retreat with some Jesuit priests at El Retiro in Los Altos Hills. And it was at a time where they were doing some pretty radical workshops, spirituality and dream work, spirituality in the Enneagram. And I was invited, you know, when I say I'm invited, I felt the universe invited me to that journey And boy, looking within is the greatest one. It's the scariest, Meredith. It hasn't always been easy. It's the most adventurous and by far the most uh, rewarding and transformative. It's not for the faint of heart, Meredith. Mm -hmm. And what I have discovered is it's ongoing. Like it's, it's endless. There's no point that you say, oh, I now know myself fully. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, the city 
has brought me to my knees in gratitude and humility because of being exposed to situations where my fissures showed, like where I had cracks Mm -hmm. and to lean into those. Um, The last little fun story I'll tell you is I'm close to a number of what I call soul sisters. We're the same age, our birthdays are very close. And on our 40th, I was back at school getting my doctorate, had a baby back in West Lafayette, Indiana. And they were writing and saying, oh, I'm going to Greece for my 40th. Oh, my husband's planned a cruise. And the third was like, oh, we're doing a three-week vacation in Hawaii. And there I was. And I said, well, I actually have an exam on my birthday. And my travels are going to be with Ben. And I said it with deep meaning and also just with a little bit of humor. But I, I believe that it was as big of a, a trip um, as all the other things my friends were doing. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Meredith, it makes but. perfect sense because it's a totally different kind of journey when you go within yeah. rather than geographically. And I would love, because you were saying it's not for the faint of heart. And I totally agree with you. So many of us are doers, right? We're so busy mm. doing, taking action that slowing down enough to pause, reflect, really go within and examine the deeper reasons why we do things or why we think certain Mm. things, even though it's not for the faint of heart, I would love for you to talk a little bit about, so what are the benefits of taking the time to do that? What what do you, what do you stand Mm. to gain if someone's willing to, to take that step? Oh, Meredith, that's a very powerful question. Um, I don't want to do a fast readout, so I'm just going to take a moment. So I will say um, one thing before I answer. I have had the benefit of having the best therapist every place I've lived. And so I have somebody who walks the journey with me. um, And I am so grateful. And people think sometimes you need a partner or a therapist during acute crises. And I find having somebody that knows me, cares enough to say what they see, and help me make meaning is one of the most powerful experiences. Um, And so I say that because I feel most alive and awake, even when I am facing into things that I'm like, wow, I can't believe I did that, or I can't believe I said that. I feel like um, once you awaken enough times, it's hard to go back to sleep. And by that, I mean metaphorically. Mm -hmm. So for me, the benefit is I feel like I'm embracing life. I'm living it. And um, without getting too deep here, it's a path of consciousness that I think is like the path of what some people call enlightenment, you know, where you start seeing things differently. So for me, the benefit is I think that people around me benefit by me spending time so that I'm as centered and present. So you talked about my six words that I love, be present, stay conscious, act compassionately. Looking within, leaning into it, getting help from others allows me to live those words, Meredith. Mm -hmm. And that's a benefit. 
Mm-hmm. That's beautifully said, Teresa. I love that. And as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking about people in leadership roles. And I would love for you to say, how has this impacted your leadership? Mm-hmm. Because as I think about the leaders who are listening to this, who are so many of them overwhelmed right now with so much that they have responsibility for the idea of what do you mean go within and how, how, how does that have an impact on my day-to-day interaction sure. with people? So talk a little bit about the benefit of, of, you know, going within in terms of how it then influences the way you connect with other people. Yeah. Meredith, I'm going to say three things. The first is what you just said. When leaders are like, oh my gosh, I've got so much to do. And Meredith, I don't need anybody who's not leading in any sector, any size that doesn't feel the overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And so um, if I can take a breath and I say there's no benefit in the overwhelm, going within, for example, when I get into that, oh my God, I got too much, got too much. If I pause and say, oh, wait a minute, maybe I'm thinking things are mine to do and I'm thwarting other people's development because I'm not empowering or asking them to help or to take this on. You know, maybe I've got too much to do prevents me from seeing that others in my life that are not a city employee need me. So just being awake, when you hear that chatter, you know, I've got too much to do, allows you to make choice and respond instead of react. Mm. And I think leaders today, there is so much that can hijack you to react. And yet, I don't know that you get out of a tailspin. And so taking those few moments to go within and check yourself, like, why am I thinking I need to do this? Why am I feeling this way? I'll tell you, every time I do that, I see that there's things that no one asked me to do. Maybe it's not mine to do, or maybe other people want to step into it. Um, so that's the first thing I would say specific to when people say, I've got, I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. That should be a, an alarm to say, whoa, why am I believing that? What's true and what's not? Yes, that's great. Um, the second thing I want to tell you is um, I have had wonderful experiences being with colleagues at a few organizations who chose to look at self-insight and take it seriously. And Meredith, um, there are some things written where the work we did at Agilent Technologies, we didn't talk about it very often, but there is a line of sight to our executives globally doing the work of self-insight and being in dialogue with each other about what result they had to accomplish and you know, where were we going to sail together beautifully and where would we bump up because we hurt each other differently and that causes lost energy that we could point to greater market share, greater customer loyalty, better financial returns, and our employees giving us feedback on our culture and leadership compared to an external top quartile norm. So I have evidence, if you need to talk in a business world, of how that work can lead to the things that we measure Mm. private sector companies by. And the third thing I was going to say is 
now that I'm in the public sector, you know, we don't measure by the same things. But I find that if we take time to really, um, you know, speak from self-insight and put it on the table, we actually go further, faster together. So people have this belief that doing this takes time. And I actually have evidence that you spend less time. Mm. Mm-hmm. And all three of those are such important points. Mm. We And I loved what you said with the first one is to really ask yourself, what am I believing about right now? Because so much of what we get, uh, get, you know, wound up about is, is just stories we're creating in our own heads about what's in front of us, as opposed to being able to look um, in a detached way. Yeah. Facts at the situation and realize that's a choice we're making in that moment. Yeah. Meredith, I love what you just said, uh, a detached way. I think the more we can develop an inner observer, Yes, It's such a powerful way. Um, and I'm blessed that I think I have a fairly, uh, fairly well-developed one, but I hang out with a lot of people that also provide that kind of feedback to me too. Mm-hmm. I think once you start developing this inner awareness yourself, you kind of tune in to other people that are on that journey yeah. actively and yeah. you connect with them. You and I did that in our very yeah. conversation. It was yes. just so fun. So I want to circle back though, to something that I know is near and dear to your heart. You mentioned it just in passing the Enneagram. Yeah. And that has, is, is a, is an instrument that you have studied now for, is it 40 years? Mm-hmm. I know it's been decades that you've been really learning from that. And there are lots of different personality tests that people are familiar with, like Myers-Briggs and mm-hmm. DISC, but you have chosen this one. And mm-hmm. so I'd love for you to give an, a, a, an overview for my listeners that may not be familiar with it. And, it, and the spelling of it is E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that is and why you mm-hmm. felt that one stood out from the others. Yeah. So Meredith, um, I've had the uh, good blessing of doing a lot of those assessments and still will occasionally take ones that are, you know, shared or presented for me to consider. I say, I used to say I was assessment agnostic, but I don't say that anymore. I really do care that people develop self-insight and awareness that leads to emotional intelligence. What I, why I actively promote and invite people to consider the Enneagram is it is um, endless in the ability to use it as a GPS for understanding self and others. And my invitation to it was a very gentle one about how exploring my Enneagram pattern could help me to return to wholeness because there is. Um, the belief that we possess all nine points, any means nine points, and that we have all those nine energies. Um, we do have a one that we're born with that's our dominant. So even to this day, in my 41st year of studying it, I'm discovering new ways to understand not only my main pattern, but how I can access and shape shift with integrity 
other parts of myself. So um, Meredith, I want to pause because as I told you, when you and I spoke a little bit about this, I could babble about this for hours because it is such a, a powerful tool and journey and GPS map for me. This morning, I was with some executives from the city, and we were talking about how knowing our Enneagram pattern has helped us understand each other and to work together towards common good. Um, so the Enneagram, a lot of times people take assessments and they say, oh, I'm a ENFJ, or I'm a DI, or an ID. What I find about the Enneagram is it actually opens up and doesn't box you. Mm. So notice I am very intentional that I say I walk in the pattern of a two, which is a point on the Enneagram, because to say I'm a two is a boxing phrase. I walk in the pattern. I'm awake to that. And I think about how to, how to choose other ways to show up, to be effective with whoever I'm with. Because Meredith, if I love, which is my main driving leadership energy, caring enough about how you hear me, how I hear you, to me is one of the best manifestations of love. So I'm going to pause there to see if anything you want to pull on anything, because like I said, this is an endless. Oh, I know. That's right. And so I think what would be valuable is talk a little bit about, and let me just take your specific pattern as an example for my listeners who may want to go explore this more on their Mm -hmm. own. But tell us what, what is the dominant or dominant areas that are, t- are um, uh, representative of the walking the path of a two. And how does that, what does that look like yeah. in, in real life interacting with other people? Because I don't want to stay at a conceptual level. Sure. I would love for you to, to, to bring it to life with a story about maybe you, Ooh. someone who's very different from you and how understanding their pattern has helped you have a stronger relationship with them. Yeah. So um, Meredith, I'm going to tell one of my favorite stories. Great. Before I knew the Enneagram um, and I was working at Hewlett Packard, I had the privilege of being assigned to somebody who was a manufacturing production section manager who eventually became the CEO of Agilent Technologies. So we both knew each other in early times of our career path. And this person, when they met me, when I came out for the the, uh, interview from the college campus, everybody said, let's hire her. We don't completely understand her, but we think she's got something. And think about it, that was 1981. So the capacity for organizations to take risk and experiment was pretty high. He was the only person that said, what is she going to do? Spread rose petals in the production floor? So I knew he didn't really see me or appreciate me the way the others did. And the hiring manager said to me, Teresa, don't worry, you're not going to have to work with him. But then three weeks in, they said, Teresa, you are assigned to his area as being like a mini personnel manager. And Meredith, I remember walking down the hallway, my fair faucet hair, a suit on and stilettos, which was totally not the way to dress in a manufacturing setting, but I was still young. 
And I sat down at his desk and I said, I know you don't think I know what I'm doing. And I want to tell you that you're right. However, I think that I'm a curious learner and I'm willing to learn and, you know, show up. And I'm really afraid of you. That melted his heart. So why I'm telling you that story is years later when we worked together again, and I invited him to consider self-insight through the use of the Enneagram and some other assessment tools. We found out that he was a pattern of an eight. I'm a pattern of a two. There's a, a link between those two. So eights are in what's called the gut or body center. So action. I'm in the heart center. And then there's the head center. He saw that I could, forgive me for saying this, kick ass and get stuff done. I saw that he had a huge heart that people didn't always see because he, he had a different energy. So why I'm telling that story is unconsciously, he and I found a way to dance to get a lot of stuff done in a very short period of time. And then when we were together working in different capacity, the fact that we saw what each other brought and we could look at what each other, others on the team were bringing was just a powerful uh, catalyst and enabler for Agile Technologies to be wildly successful. Mm. So about the pattern of the two, friend, um, I feel needs, even if they're not expressed. And when I was younger, Meredith, um, I would become overwhelmed by other people's needs. And I would come home after working a long day and physically feel unwell. But I think, well, nothing really bad happened. So what's going on? I just took all that in. And by awakening to the fact that I was attuned to needs um, and then pulling a question from my head center of, is this really mine to do? Mm. before I moved to my powerful body action of eight has been very, very um, energizing. So look at my adult child now, because that love is so fierce. If there was ever anything happening, I would go to action to take care of them. I'll never forget walking them home from school when they were eight. And they said, I like when daddy walks me home better. And I said, oh, really? Tell me more about that. And they said, he doesn't try to solve my problems for me. <laughs> Meredith, I mean, think about it. That truth, so raw and beautiful, that's what everybody I'm around. If I rescue and they're not asking for it, I thwart their development and mine. So I'm going to pause, Meredith, because I have endless stories about this. Oh. But I hope through home and work. Yes. Well, the, the combination of stories there really, Teresa, is so powerful because it illustrates everything you said earlier about going within and learning mm -hmm. and becoming more aware. And um, as someone who also identifies as that pattern of two, I'm just sitting here going, oh my goodness, I've, I've offended people before trying to be helpful when they didn't want it and assuming that it was a good thing to be oh, yeah. of help to them with them not asking my husband fortunately is very open with me when he doesn't want my help so we've been married now 40 years and wow, congratulations thank you um, so he's very comfortable saying 
I don't need your help at this yeah. point. And, and it's helped me just like with you learning. I think a lot of it has to do, Teresa, thinking about people being effective as leaders mm-hmm. or in their families is noticing how are people responding mm-hmm. to what I'm saying and what I'm doing instead of just assuming I've got the best of intentions, therefore I'm right in the yeah. approach that I'm taking. What you've illustrated with those stories is the importance of really paying attention, but also being honest. I love that you told this guy, I'm afraid of you. Because when we are willing to own what it is we're really feeling, we make it safe for the other person to be honest with us in return. And so you've got the ability then to form a real honest dialogue and our relationship. So I love all these things that you have shared. I, we could talk all day because you do have just amazing stories. And I so appreciate who you are, you know, what you have brought to Fort Collins and what you bring to the world just by your spirit and how you show up. It's just so beautiful, Teresa. I just, I love you. I love the the impact you're having. I love your desire to go within. I think it's a great challenge for my listeners to think about how can they go more deeply within to better understand themselves. Because one of my big takeaways from our conversation is the more we come to understand who we are, what makes us tick, what drives us, the more we can be fully present with someone else. And that was one of your key points in, you know, some of the things you've said earlier is just being able to be available to others when we're not preoccupied with how are we coming across, but we've accepted who we are. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Every time I talk to you, you're right. I feel like we could spend weeks in dialogue. So um, one of the things you said is another thing that I have found to be a benefit. There was a brilliant article in HBR called, uh, I think it was called Making Development Personal. And um, Lisa Leahy, Bob Kagan, who wrote a lot on development, the article talked about the amount of energy any of us expend to try to manipulate people's perceptions of us is exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. And I, this is where somehow I feel like everybody along my way helped me because I have found when I just say, well, I don't know, or I'm scared too, but you want to still go ahead. I mean, it, it does something. And so the energy to try and make sure you like me or see me in a certain way. Yeah. I think in today's world with all that's coming at us that we know we don't have complete capacity to comprehend, it's not where I want to spend my energy. Mm -hmm. So I think about fatigue that people have. It could be sometimes managing everybody's perceptions. Mm. And Meredith, there are countless stories you could tell about when people say something to me, like making an interpretation of a decision I made, like to come to the public sector, if I'm awake enough, I see that's just a projection. Mm-hmm. It's not the, not necessarily the truth. And I could 
hook on to it and try to explain it, explain to them that what they just said, it's just a very powerful thing to look at how much energy we expend on, you know, trying to help people see us a certain way. And I just don't have time for that narrative. Or I'm choosing not to take I think the older we get, the more we realize that. (laughs) You know, age does have wonders for how you can see things, yeah. Yeah, so Teresa, tell my listeners how they can connect with you, learn more about the work you're doing there at Fort Collins, and also learn more about the Enneagram. Yeah, so I'll answer the second question first. There are so many brilliant Enneagram writers and teachers out there. Ginger Lapid Bogda, Mario Sikora, uh, Marianne Gilbert. Um, there is just, uh, just, I could give so many names. So it doesn't matter what door you enter, what book you read. I will say, oh, and Beatrice um, Chestnut, another brilliant person. I think people should explore it. And there's gentle ways. They could pick up the very small book called The Essential Enneagram by David Daniels and Virginia Price. And there's a self-assessment in there. And there's now a, a, a website for a very small price. You can take a test all the way up to what we're now using at the city of Fort Collins, the integrative Enneagram IEQ-9. And um, a brilliant person, and I think his name is Dirk, C-H-O-A-T-E, developed this. And he listened to all the Enneagram teachers, and it is probably the most profound assessment that a person could take. You get a 28-page report, and it gives you deep insight. And Meredith, I think I told you that when I first asked someone on my team to take it, they came in white-knuckled, white-faced, and said, too much, too soon. Because if you're not ready, the insight can be overwhelming. Mm. But the IEQ-9 is on the end of the continuum um, if you want to go deep fast. So um, there are workshops. There is worldwide. In fact, Meredith, at Agilent, one of the things I loved is no matter what country the executives participated in this invitation for self-insight, the Enneagram trans- transcends cultures, religions, mm. language, gender, orientation, Um, which is pretty powerful. So how to contact me? Well, I'm on LinkedIn under my name, Teresa Roach. Um, My email is troach at fcgov.com. And my Twitter is at Teresa Roach, all lowercase. I don't tweet, but I do love reading tweets on Twitter um, as sound bites just understand just different different things. Um, So I offer those, Meredith, as some ways to connect with me. Oh, that's great. And would you just repeat real quick the source for that 28-page report that you were referring to? Is there a specific website or just the name of it? So um, I think the website might be www.integrativeenneagram.com. But if you just put in I, doesn't even matter if you capitalize it, uh, I-E-Q-9. I-E-Q-9? Did I say I-E-9? before? I'm not sure, but oh. that's okay. IEQ9? Yeah. Let me just, okay. Oh my that's God. okay. I'll get, I'll check yeah. that with you. That's later. awful. I'll put, check that with you and get it on the show notes page. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so sorry that I goes live. That's fine. No problem. 
Teresa, thank you again. This has been such a delight and I love all of the brilliant insights you shared. It's, it's been a real gift having you with me and sharing your, you with my audience today. Well, Meredith, thank you. As I said, it was my honor. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.